Welcome to Companies That Care. I'm your host, Marie Gettelgo-Martin, and this podcast is brought to you by Fertile Ground Communications. Do you struggle to put words to the screen? Is writing the very last thing you want to do in your day? My mission is to make communications painless for my clients. I can turn a piece of lackluster, jargon-filled, or technical prose into clear dynamic narrative. I help my clients discover how to tell their stories or solve their communications challenges. Look us up on FertileGroundCommunications.com. I'd love to give you a free 30-minute consult. I alternate this Companies That Care podcast with my other podcast, Finding Fertile Ground, which is about personal stories of grit and resilience and people finding their fertile ground in their life or career. On both of my podcasts, I strive to highlight voices from historically excluded populations, people who don't always get a platform. You can find information about both podcasts on my website and social media. Today, I'm interviewing Ross Ching, founder of Mama and Hoppas, the zero-waste shop in Portland, Oregon. Ross was inspired to start a zero-waste shop after watching the news and hearing terrible things about climate change. He's determined to destroy the notion that being eco-friendly has to be expensive. He wants to make the zero-waste movement more accessible and affordable for everyday people to join. Let's meet Ross and hear about Mama and Hoppas. Hello, Ross. Welcome to the Companies That Care podcast. Hi, how's it going? Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. I can't remember how I happened across your store, but you know, Facebook algorithms maybe yeah. <laughs> sent me your way. So I was really excited to hear that we have a zero waste store here in Portland, Oregon. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your company. But first, let's start out by talking a little bit little about you. Can you tell our listeners how you got to this place in your life and career? What led you down this career path? Well, I mean. A lot of it is just turning on the news and finding out how terrible things are and how climate change is coming or is already here and plastic pollution is a thing now. And in the past three or four or five years, there's been more and more reporting about how recycling isn't what we all thought it would be. Recycling back in the 90s was supposed to be this thing that everybody should do and is going to be our savior and we can use as much plastic as we want and <laughs> we can throw any sort of plastic in the bin and it'll get turned into a park bench. You know, fast forward 20 years and we have all come to, well not all, but I've come to the realization that that wasn't the case. And so we need to stop plastic usage at the root of it. And that's, that's at the uh, cash register. In the past few years, zero waste movement has really been gaining a lot of steam. And so what we kind of wanted to do was join in on the thing and develop a shop that made the zero waste movement a bit easier for the everyday people to do. Because there's a large segment of the population who really want to help the environment. They really want to be better, but they also at the same time don't want to be inconvenienced. And so that's kind of, you know, what we are trying to aim as a target market to hit. So what did you do before starting Mamas and Hoppas? Before this, I was actually a TV commercial director. Um, oh. So I made, you know, like Burger King commercials and Nestle commercials. As of late, my my specialty was food. So mm. there would be a lot of hamburgers and um, like candy and those kinds of things, but definitely not anything related to environmentalism or zero waste or anything like that. Definitely a change in pace, but I yeah. like it a lot. 
how did you think of starting the company then? I mean, this is kind of, that's kind of a leap from being a, a TV producer. Yeah. And the, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. What led you to this spot? Well, part of it was just like, you know, seeing on the news that I had to do something. Mm-hmm. And the part, the other part of it was that there wasn't a good way of going zero waste that wasn't either more expensive than the supermarket or easier than just grabbing a bottle off the shelf. Around that time, maybe three years ago, three or four years ago, I went to a brewery and the brewery had these cool dispensers where you have like an RFID card, which is like a credit card, but um, you can just tap it without actually touching the, the system. And then beer would come out once you tap the card. And so I thought that was really cool. Didn't really think much of it. But then around the same time, I would went to my first zero waste shop. That was also really cool too, because I could bring in my own container and I could fill up on shampoo and all that stuff. And it was great. But, you know, having to weigh my jar at the beginning and then fill it up and then weigh it again and then subtract the two. And then if I got like five things, that would be a lot of wasted time in the shop. Mm. Um, And also if I wanted to get, say, a gallon of all-purpose cleaner or a gallon of laundry liquid, you know, I would be sitting there at the pump for like 10 minutes, just pumping away, you know, ounce by ounce. So that wasn't ideal either. So I figured, well, we could combine the two And we could do like this RFID enabled zero waste shop. And so uh, what we have now is what the, what the concept ended up being. And so you didn't know a whole lot about retail then before diving into this. Yeah. Yeah. Not even a little bit. Um, My first job was a ride operator at an amusement park. So that wasn't really (laughs) retail. Um, My second job was at a TV station. So that wasn't retail. But, you know, I kind of got things, you know, just by Googling around the internet and by talking to people and through just being in a store myself, you know, definitely learned a lot over the past few months. You must be a highly creative person to have the courage and wherewithal to start something this new as well. Well, the biggest thing that helped me out was Google. So anytime (laughs) I had a problem, you just Google it. And then somewhere out there, there's a solution or someone has made a video and put it on YouTube or something. Uh Right. So that's, that's really how I made the dispensers was that, (laughs) you know, I just went on Google and YouTube and everybody had these little videos or whatever to make a little part of my dispenser. And so I'd take all those little tutorials, put them together and then make a dispenser out of it. Amazing. And you are fairly new to Portland. Is that right? Yeah. I moved up here three months before the pandemic started. So (laughs) and what were you, were you planning to start the store then? Or was that something that, yeah, we were thinking about planning to start Uh the store in, you know, maybe it would launch in like June of 2020 or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the pandemic happened. So then we decided to push it back by, you know, nine or 10 months or so. Um, we ended up launching in mid-May of 2021. And uh, the response has been really good. Um, people are really happy about, you know, being able to refill their stuff and being able to do it in a economical way 
they can bring in their own jars. We also have jars to provide at our shop and you don't have to measure anything. You don't have to weigh anything. It all just keeps track of it on the card and we just scan the card at the end and there isn't much to it, which is the best thing about it because everything is so simple. Yeah. So you don't take cash, I read. Yeah. It's part mm-hmm. of the reason why we don't take cash was because we typically only run the shop with one employee. And from time to time, we've had run-ins with you know someone nefarious comes in and they want to not necessarily steal something or anything, but they're just kind of sketchy per- type person. Ideally, we just wouldn't want all that cash laying around. So that's part of it. The other part is just that it makes things a bit easier on our end, not having to transfer cash to the bank every week or something. I imagine it makes it more self-service this way as well. Yeah. You know, you don't technically need to touch anything when you're at the store. If you bring your own bottles, um, we sanitize the cards before they go out to you. So you could, you have to touch the card, which is sanitized already. And then when you tap on the uh, dispenser, you don't have to touch it or anything. So pretty much everything is touch-free and even the payment system as well. Right. Can you explain the company name? So my wife and I have a kid, so she's the mama. And Hapa is a Hawaiian term for a half Asian, half white person. And so I'm half Chinese, half white. And my dad grew up in Hawaii as well. So Ah. we're well rooted in Hawaii. Yeah. We wanted some name that was easily, when you type it into Google, you can find it as the first result. And so Uh that was, that was the thinking behind that. That's creative. What part of Hawaii did you grow up in? My dad grew up in Kaneohe, which is on the opposite side of Honolulu, of Oahu. Uh-huh. Yeah. But then he went to high school over on Honolulu. So, uh-huh. yeah, I lived for three years in Japan when I was in my 20s. And what I love about Hawaii is it has so much Asian influence, but it's a little bit like Hapa's. I mean, it's like it's like half yeah. white, half Asian, you know, and I've always loved that about it. Yeah, yeah it is really uh really diverse over there. It is. Yeah. Very fun. I haven't been there for many years. I used to go there. I worked in the corporate world and I managed people there. So I get to go there once a year, but I really miss it. Yeah. We're actually thinking about going there sometime soon because my dad and mom moved back over there last year. So oh, nice. thinking we'll pay them a visit. At some yeah. Point. Especially good to go when you have people you can stay with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So how are you a company that cares? What's your company mission? Obviously, you are trying to keep plastics out of the landfill and other other wasteful products. Is there anything else you want to add about how you're a company that cares? I think there's much bigger issues than keeping plastic out of landfills. Like climate change in general is just an issue that's so big. So we're a little tiny dent in that. But I think what zero waste really does is that it changes a mindset and it makes you mindful of an object from its inception all the way to its death. So if you think about your laundry detergent, it's not just something you get at Target and then you take it home and then you forget about it, right? You have to think about, okay, so there was a bunch of oil that had to be drilled And then they had to take that to a factory and refine it. And then they did take that to a factory and make pellets of plastic. 
and then they had to mold the plastic and then they had to fill it with the stuff that goes inside of it. And the stuff that goes inside of it came from somewhere. Then it has to get driven to target. And then you, you have to drive the target and then you get the bottle, drive back home. And, you know, it's this huge process that encompasses the entire globe. And so what I think the zero waste movement does really well is that it gets people to think that an object's life doesn't begin when you get it from the store. It could start overseas in Asia, it could start in Europe. And I think it gets people to think more critically about what their impact is um, on the environment and on the earth. Right. And then often those plastic containers are never, are not recycled. Yeah. It kind of depends what number it is. So one, two, and five, I think are the most economically recycled. The other ones can be recycled. It's just that they aren't economically viable to recycle them. That's kind of the whole thing about recycling is that you have to economically have an incentive to do it. There's places like Ridwell, which you you pay them to recycle it, which is good. But I think the ideal thing is just to not use it in the first place. Right. And, uh, you know, obviously not everyone has resources to pay to have something recycled. The other thing is it really depends on where in the country or the world that you live, because we are really spoiled here. <laughs> we yeah. have reasonable curbside pickup and things like that, whereas a lot of the country does not have that option. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard. If you're not in a big city, there probably isn't any sort of you know trash pickup service. I had some cousins growing up. They kind of lived in a more rural area and they would just burn their trash whenever mm-hmm. they're done with it. And so they have a burn pile. And I'm sure that's the case for a lot of places across the US and a lot of places across the world, they just burn their trash and sure. they're done with it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that needs to be more of zero waste shops, but you know, we have to start somewhere and we got to start someplace where the customer density is highest. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you go to almost any big city and you'll see a zero waste shop and they're starting to grow Uh, more and more. Um, You'll see them in smaller cities too, from time to time. Portland is one of the few places that didn't really have a full-time zero-waste shop until just recently. So, Nice. um, Yeah. You you were able to fill a niche then. Yeah. There was a few other zero-waste shops that were like pop-ups or they were open Mm -hmm. like five hours a week, or they weren't full service in the sense that you couldn't buy floor cleaner or whatever. You could get laundry detergent, but you couldn't get your all-purpose cleaner or something like that. So we try and cover all the household needs. So I think we have 30, I think we're up to 38 dispensers now. We have different scents and we have different uses in the household. Ideally, we want to get to around 50 or so of the household things. So We'll see how it goes. We just need a little bit more space. We'll get there soon. Yeah, I think Portland's a great supportive city to start something like this. So I'm glad that you're here. You know, we're here. We're in central Portland. I think zero waste shops will be in the future 
more of a neighborhood shop. And so mm-hmm. what we eventually want to do is we want to be that shop like a, you know, 7-Eleven where everybody lives within two or three miles of one. Because there's three things that we wanted to accomplish with the shop. One of them is the free containers. So we wanted to offer reused containers to our customers, mostly because people don't walk around with empty containers when they come into the shop. So Mm -hmm. that's one thing. The other thing was the dispenser system. So we accomplished that with the RFID thing. You don't have to weigh anything or count anything or do any sort of math. And then the third thing that we wanted to address was the accessibility aspect. So half of that is price. So we're working progressively to get our prices lower and lower over the course of time. And so the more customers that come in, the more lower we can get the prices. Um, Right now we're in the range of like a you know, Safeway or a CVS or something of a lot of our prices. I think we want to get it down to more of like a target type price. Mm. That'll be coming down over the course of the next few months. The last part of the accessibility thing is if it takes you more than half a gallon of gas to get to our shop, then like, what's the point of saving a plastic bottle, you know? So we want to be in a place where people can ride their bike or they can walk to the shop. And so that means we want to be within two miles of everyone. So that's the expansion plan, but we want to make sure this first one works. Oh, right, right. That's exciting. Your expansion plans. Everybody would have a, have an opportunity close by where they could, they could walk or bike to. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to conquer the city. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, hopefully. And the good thing is that with us, um, there isn't much overhead. Um, it's just one employee and rent and insurance. So it wouldn't take us a lot of money to um, to move into another location. Yeah, so, that's yeah. very cool. Well, I live near Willowa Village. I don't know if you've been to this part of the city. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah. I've, I've seen. I've been there. And yeah, I've, that would be I've, a really great place for another shop. Yeah, I was actually looking at the listings around there. And- <laughs> right. There, there wasn't any vacancies, um, but it doesn't have to be like in one of those cutesy kind of places. Yeah. It could be next to, next to like a New Seasons or a Whole Foods too. I think that would uh, right. Actually, would you know, really they're good. they're opening a Trader Joe's in the old Lambs Thriftway on Garden Hill Road, oh. and that would be another spot to look at. Yeah, I'd love to have one near me. I mean, I'd love to come visit your shop anyway, but it's definitely it's a little bit yeah. farther for me to go. So yeah, we're we're definitely talking about somewhere on the west side i don't know we'll see what's available and you know we'll make something more concrete in the coming months very exciting yeah Yeah. so can you share a little bit about how you built the actual shop itself i read that you followed the five r's and building your shop so can you explain a little bit about that it's unusual in building the shop there's like a certain mindset we wanted to be in. So for those of you who don't know, the five R's are refuse, reduce, reuse, recycle, and rot. So refuse is, let's say you're at one of those, you know, events where they're giving out free pens or they're giving out free, you know, knickknacks and those kinds of things. We all really don't need those things. So the first thing is to say no, or you know, you go to get some takeout and they include the silverware in the to-go box. You could, you know, always take a, take out the silverware or tell them no silverware, whatever, no cap for your coffee, those kinds of things. Um, the second one is reduce. 
no need to buy extravagant things that you only use maybe once a year or something. Reuse. So if a store does give you a bag, then use that bag like 10 times, you know, get the full use out of it and still until it starts falling apart. Recycle, we all know about recycling. And then the fifth one is rot, which if you're cutting up your onions or whatever for dinner, instead of throwing away the onions where they would get buried in a landfill and experience anaerobic decomposition, you want to either start a compost pile or Portland has a um, composting service. You could actually chop them up and put them down the drain. And when they go to the water treatment plant, they'll experience aerobic uh, decomposition, which releases less methane into the atmosphere is what that does. So when we were making our shop, we were thinking it's very easy to become a hypocrite on the zero waste movement, right? Because we all have some sort of waste. So what can we do to limit all that stuff? And so we were thinking, well, you know, I know a bit about woodworking, so maybe we could make our own cabinets and make our own dispensers and um, try and make as much stuff as possible. If we can't make it, maybe we can find it on Craigslist. And so the culmination of that was probably 80 to 90% of the stuff in our store is either made by us or re used old materials that we got on Craigslist. I have an old door in our house. And so I cut the door in half and that got turned into a shelf for our shop. And so we reused as much as possible in the shop. It ended up looking pretty good, in my opinion. I wasn't aware of the rot part. I hadn't heard that one before. There's a lot of like little nuances to the whole zero waste thing and recycling. Like there's I just started following this recycling thing on uh, Instagram and they opened my eyes up so much as to what is actually recyclable and what's not. For instance, say you get a box that needs to be refrigerated from the grocery store. That box is recyclable. But say you get a box that needs to be put in the freezer from the grocery store. That box is not recyclable. Because I guess to make the colors or whatever stay in the freezer, they put a special coating on it that doesn't interact well with the recycling machines that they have. So there's like so many little nuances with recycling. And so part of the thing about rot is like, yeah, it'll rot no matter what, but if it rots without oxygen, it will create more methane than if it rotted with oxygen. Yeah, it's called Recycle or Not. Um, It's actually run by Portland Metro, I think. Um, Oh, cool. I'll I'll send it along. Wow, I hadn't heard that before. So what are your best tips for easy ways for people to reduce their waste other than what we've already talked about? The best ways to reduce waste would be to shop at our shop for yes one. yes or shop at any you know secondhand retailer like a thrift shop or um, a goodwill type thing um, there's a lot of creativity that goes into the zero waste movement if you see a dress at a thrift shop could you turn that dress into a skirt or could you turn that dress into a blanket or something like that you know there's a lot of things that can be done secondhand with things that they're not made for in the first place. That's one thing to reduce your footprint is taking essentially what's other people's trash and turning them into not trash. The other thing is just 
I mean, I said this before, but refuse the stuff that, that you don't need. So if you order something from a takeout restaurant, tell them, tell them that you would like your stuff packaged in your own container. So at the, at our shop, what we sell are these um, collapsible silicone takeout containers. And so one thing I've done in the past was if I'm going to order at the shop, I take my reusable container and I tell them, Hey, can you make my meal and then put it in this silicone container instead of putting it in one of your own plastic containers? And usually they say yes. I'm sure it's odd for them, but it's definitely doable for a lot of people. For a while there, I used to work next to a food cart pod, and I know that there's a, an organization that would provide reusable containers for food carts. I, I haven't had anybody turn me down. What I would typically do what would be to save if I got um, a plastic container from a food cart. I just save it and reuse it. As long as yeah. I could, you know, until it yeah. wasn't reusable anymore. So in the way that you've set up your dispensers, you are tracking how many bottles you're keeping out of the landfill. Is that right? Yeah. Because all of our dispenses are electronic, we can keep track of exactly how many ounces we've sold over the course of us being in business. We have uh, this counter on our website and in the store, and you can actually see how many 16-ounce bottles we've saved over the course of four months. So it's, it's pretty exciting. It's a little small kind of plus side of having everything be electronic. So how many bottles have you kept out of the landfill? Right now, let me, we are at 3,346 16-ounce bottles. Oh, that must saved. feel good. Yeah. yeah. And by the time this airs, it'll be, it'll be higher. I'll go check what that number is by the time we air it. I have one question about shampoo bars because in some of the groups I'm in, people have talked about those and I, I've been skeptical to try them. So do they get a good lather? What is your experience with shampoo bars? Yeah, shampoo bars are good. I mean, they do get a good lather. The whole reason why shampoo bars are even a thing is because they're way more cost-effective to ship than a bottle of shampoo. Ah. A, bot a bottle of shampoo weighs, you know, maybe a pound versus a shampoo bar that gives you the same number of shampoo uses is probably, huh. you know, a couple ounces. And so it's like way easier to ship 200 bars of shampoo than it is to ship 200 bottles of shampoo. And so that's the reason why shampoo bars are a thing. But, you know, at our shop, since we get all of our stuff locally and bring it into our shop and dispense from a barrel, you can get the liquid shampoo right then and there. But we also do sell shampoo bars in our mm -hmm. shop. My middle son just started college on the East Coast in Connecticut and Wesleyan, and they have just switched to laundry sheets, which I was really excited about. Yeah, that's the other thing about the different ways companies have gotten around the shipping issue because, you know, typically 30 loads of Tide would weigh, you know, a pound or something. Right. And 30 loads of laundry sheets is only like a couple ounces. Uh -huh. um, the thing for us, though, is that those laundry sheets are about 60 cents per load. Whereas our liquid is 23 cents a load and our pods are 25 cents a load. So we weren't really happy with the price point of the sheets yeah. because the sheets are kind of a new thing. You know, I think that they're a little pricey for us to offer mm -hmm. right now. Going back to one of the tenants that we wanted to have in our shop is that we wanted it to be an accessible shop where we could be in the price of a CVS or something. 
and compete that way in terms of price. Yeah, I love the fact that you are trying to make it accessible because a lot of times it costs more for us to be environmentally conscious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Like eating organic food or things like that. So I think that's a great goal that you have. You know, that's the other thing I noticed about a lot of zero waste shops, at least when I was living in Southern California, was that they charge like twice the amount as a normal store, which I get because a lot of stuff is organic or it's, you know, fair trade or whatever. We actually offer those similar things. Um, we, we just buy them in 55 gallon drums. And we also buy them locally, so there isn't any shipping involved. So most of our stuff either comes from local to Portland, maybe a few miles outside of Portland, or one of our vendors is in near Seattle, so it doesn't have to go too far. Because that's the other thing is that you know shipping something from New York over to us, you know, that takes a lot of energy to do. Right, so. that kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And how many employees do you have? Right now we're at three. Typically I'll do one of the days, one or two of the days, and then I'll have one employee that's on one day and then one employee that's on two days and one employee that's on three days. I do get to know all of our employees quite well because I spend a lot of my time at the shop as well, helping them out and stuff. You know, when we're in a more financially stable position, I want to do like, you know, company river cleanups or I think there's a there's a company or a foundation called Solve in Portland. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh So, you know, eventually I want to do things more like them where we're fighting trash as well as picking up trash. So I have an idea for you uh, related to that. My husband became a member of a group called Adopt One Block. Okay. Have you heard of a dog? I think it started out of Portland. Some guy who just kind of created it. And I think he's working towards nonprofit status, but right now it's just sort of a collective of neighbors. If you if you look up, I think it's adoptoneblock.org or something. If you just Google adopt one block, you can adopt a block and just go around and pick up stuff. So they actually sent him um, a t-shirt and a little like picker upper and some gloves. <laughs> huh. so, so each week he just, well, I think he's adopted two or three blocks in our neighborhood. So he goes around and he just picks stuff up. So you could do that on the blocks where you're interesting. Located. Yeah. So that would be an easy way for you to have an activity for your, for your company and your employees. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. So just a thought. Yeah. 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 I'll check it out. Yeah. So what advice do you have for other people who want to make companies that care? Half of it is like, it has to be commercially viable. So like there's tons of companies out there that their mission gets ahead of their profitability. Not to say that anyone in environmentalism is really like rolling in the dough, but like you have to be able to take care of yourself before Mm -hmm. you can like do other things. And so I think that's one thing that a lot of people in the do good field um, forget is that they want to do so much good that they can't do much good for themselves. And so that's one thing. Um, the other, the other thing is that it's like now is the best time to be some sort of entrepreneur because it's so easy to like everybody, all the consumers want to hear like the story of Tom's where for every pair of shoes you buy, we, we give a pair of shoes to someone in need. And there's so many of those buy one, give one type models now. And there's so many consumers that want to feel like, oh, so if I buy this, I'm essentially 
there's a company that gives eyesight or eye surgeries to other people. And there's a lot of companies that do that um, 1% for the planet. And, you know, they give 5% to um, a company or people in need, those kinds of things. The company itself doesn't have to be a environmentally focused company, but it could be a company that does good by sharing their profits. And so once that profitability comes, then the corporate responsibility should follow as well. Yeah. Make sure you can make some money with it. (laughs) Definitely when you're doing the right thing. Well, congratulations on your new shop. I'm really excited to come visit one of these days. And Yeah. yeah. And I'd love for you to have a shop on the West side too. Yeah, if you ever do stop by, let me know and then I'll be yeah, sure to be there. I will. I will. It'd be great to meet you in person. Thank you so much for your time, Ross. Yeah, great talking to you too. I admire Ross's commitment to making zero waste options available for everyone, just a bike right away. One of the wasteful habits I hate is those big plastic containers for dishwashing detergent. That will be my number one item to buy when I make it to Mom and Hoppas. Next week on the Fighting Fertile Ground podcast, I interview Paula Dunn, who was born with a bilateral cleft lip and palate. It's the first time I've interviewed anyone with a cleft lip and palate like me. Paula's from Australia, and she works as a teenage resilient expert and cognitive scientist. Thanks for listening to Companies That Care. If you liked today's episode, check out our other episodes and subscribe. And don't forget to contact me if you like a 30-minute communications consultation. Our music is by jazz pianist Jonathan Swanson. This podcast is brought to you by Fertile Ground Communications.